What's up, everybody? This is Marty Friedman, and you are listening to Focus on Metal. Hey, Metalhead, Scott Thompson here, and welcome to another episode of, yep, you guessed it, Focus on Metal. So it was a little bit over a year ago now when I was editing up episode 493, and that is where we talked to great white guitarist Mark Kendall about uh, his sobriety, what's going on with the band, all kinds of stuff. And you can find that episode on iTunes, on Amazon, you can go up to focusonmetalpod.com and look up episode 493 or put Kendall in the search box, whatever you want, that'll come up, episode 493. So we uh, we have Mark on the show again this week. Not really promoting anything, just came on and uh, just kind of shooting the shit with Richie for about an hour or so, just to chat about some of the uh, his past history, some of the LA scene back in the day, get a little bit of insight there. And uh, then also what's going on with the band now, new singer, new music, you know, what's up with that. So yeah, not uh, not any real agenda this week, just having Mark on for a chat. And he definitely has some great reflections back in the day about folks like George Lynch and Eddie Van Halen and, you know, early days touring with the Scorpions. They talk a little bit about albums, Psycho City, and a few other albums as well. Got some opinions there, some producer stuff. Like I said, just a good hour-long just chat between uh, between Richie and Mark. But uh, before we dive into that, I just do want to say a big shout-out. Congratulations to uh, fellow podcaster John Caddick and his show Iron City Rocks just hit the big 500th episode a uh, week, two weeks ago. So congratulations, John. For those of you that have been listening to Focus on Metal for a long time, you know that in early days, John was really involved with the show as well, contributed some interviews and stuff, and has always been a great supporter of Focus on Metal. And he was even one of the... Uh, fellow podcaster was uh when we had our cast iron ring so again john congrats on 500 and hopefully many more for you and for those of you that uh, haven't experienced it yet go check it out the show is called iron city rocks episode 500 he is talking with uh joe bonamassa so from one bluesy guitarist to another let's do a gentle segue into uh the conversation between richie and Mark Kendall. Hello, is that Mark? This is Mark. Hey, Mark, how you doing? It's Richie here. Hey, Richie, what's up, buddy? I'm okay. Nice to talk to you again. How, how you how you been? How's the weather out there? Um, it's actually not too bad here. It's pretty warm for this time of the year. I, uh, it's normally uh, we're snowed under, but it's not too bad here. Oh, good, good. Yeah, you're. Yeah, in- it got down to 34 here, which is uh, like outlandish. <laughs> <laughs> But uh, today's not bad. It's like 50 degrees out, so it's not... Where are you, L.A.? In California, yeah. Um, No, more toward... uh, I don't know if you've heard of San Bernardino, California, maybe Palm Springs. Yep. Yeah, I'm kind of in between those two. Okay. Did you ever live in L.A., Mark? When I was a little, little tiny boy, I lived right in Los Angeles, but then we moved around to different suburb suburbs of los angeles okay 
Okay. What's your whole take on, on LA? Because, um, you know, of course, in the 80s, that was the place you had to go. And I know you guys were from there. And as a guitarist, you probably would have seen a huge influx of guitar players moving to LA yeah. to play. Oh, absolutely. It was, uh, it was really booming. Um, and as far as my band on the food chain, we're pretty low on the scale. <laughs> okay. I, I, you know, I mean, the competition of bands and guitar players was fierce. There's so many good ones. Um, so many good bands. So, uh, I kind of use Van Halen for my barometer, um, uh, just their work ethic and stuff like that, that I kind of took things from them that would help, help us. Like, you know, they played every night. So I go, I want to do that too. <laughs> you know what I mean? So I just kind of, uh, they were the best band around. So I, I kind of watched them. They, they got my full attention. Can you remember the first time Mark, you saw Van Halen? I'm sorry. Can you remember the first time you saw Van Halen? Yeah. Um, I lived in El Monte, California, which is about maybe 40 minutes from L.A. And they played three blocks from my house at a junkyard. <laughs> and my friend, my I was 17 years old. My friend had already seen him and told me about the guitar player. So we walked to the show. And uh, when I went in, walked in, the drummer was playing a solo and Dave Roth was laying on the ground, blowing a tube into the floor, Tom, to make the pitch go up and down. It was like wipeout or something, you know what I mean? <laughs> so I'm sitting there going, when is the guitar player going to happen? I got to hear this stuff. Anyways, he played, I uh, remember he had a Les Paul. He didn't have the tremolo bar. He didn't do the eruption type stuff yet, but you could tell there was something different you know just the way he played it was like uh kind of i guess you call it outside of the box or whatever mm. and and they really developed a big following with just you know a lot of musicians used to go I, i'd see like 20 guitar players in the crowd at every show you know that i went to okay so they they really attracted because the guitar player was so you know uh, very special sounding and and the singer was so cocky, you know. He acted like they already made it or something. So it was it was pretty entertaining. <laughs> what about um, what about the likes of George Lynch or Randy Rhodes? Did you see them early on? Yeah, George is. You know, we we came up at exactly the same time, so George and I played all the same gig. You know. Yeah. He was he was in a band called the Boys, and then he joined a band called Exciter. He, he actually stole my singer. I, I actually had a girl singer back then and he, he, he winched her out of my band and, mm. and she joined his band. And so I ended up getting this guy that sounded like Rob Halford or something. Okay. But, uh, yeah. So, uh, Randy Rhodes, believe it or not, I did not know he was the guitar player that we all heard in Ozzy. And I think it had to do with the quiet riot songs they were kind of, uh, they were, they didn't have a lot of long solos and stuff. You know what I mean? So I never got to hear them really rip up the fretboard with soloing. Okay. So I, I, I had no idea. I know he looked like a rock star. I, I go, man, that guy's a rock star. You know, he, he had the look, you know, 
and he was a great guitar player. But I, I until he joined when he joined Ozzy, then I go, holy, holy crap! This guy's like Satan on the guitar. He's like the greatest, you know. Mm. But I, I didn't know it back then. Mark, did you find that in the eighties? There was pressure being put on you to like shred more because th- that seemed to be the in thing. Then you had the likes of Satriani, Steve Vai, Ingve, all these fast, yeah. fast guitar players coming along. Was there pressure put on you to like do the same thing? Well, believe it or not, when I was younger, like eighteen to about twenty-three, I I kind of played, you know, bass all the time and. You know, it's like Fly to the Bumblebee, every song. But um, my influences were more from, you know, Johnny Winter. Uh, I remember when I was like 14 and 15, like Carlos Santana was like a god to me. I, I, I kind of wanted to be like him. But when we were playing out, I was kind of doing the blistering thing, but not out of pressure. It was just, you know, your thinking when you're a teenager is the faster I go, the better I am, you know, yeah. or the the, be, the better you are, the faster you are. I remember Dave Mustang from, uh, from uh, Megadeth. He went to high school with my little brother and he told them, I'm so much faster than your brother, <laughs> you know? So, uh, so yeah, that was kind of the mentality. But once I started writing original songs and stuff, I kind of, uh, my influences started to show up a lot more, you know? Yeah. But, uh, yeah, there was just, um, not everybody played eruption, you know, that was as far as, the, you know, the LA scene, but every, everybody was, uh, you know, pretty gifted. There was a lot of great guitar players. I used to go see several different bands and, uh, you know, there was pretty much something good to say about most of them, you know? So it was definitely competitive. I, um, you know, went out there and took my lumps and played the best I could, you know, yeah. and just hope somebody one day would be in the crowd that could help us, you know. Yeah. But that's about it. That's about it. Mark, who's the one guitar player from back then that you thought would really break it big and never really made it? Uh, Jimmy Bates, without question. Uh, he played like Eddie, kind of... Uh, almost a little some of the stuff a little before eddie even and i i've seen eddie watch him play before and uh, he was in a band called stormer which was the second best band according to back then in the late 70s or mid to late 70s they were the biggest band under van halen van halen i would put number one and they were number two um but he did, he played like Eddie. He had all, you know, the outside of the box style. I thought they would make it. The only thing I think that kept them from is they didn't have the whole package, you know, mm. like he was kind of bald, had long hair, but his, he was thinning on top. But, um, but he played like insane. He was so good. And they put on a pretty good show and did a lot of shows with Van Halen on the same bill. But Van Halen was the whole deal. They had the great singer, the rad bass player with the high voice, you know. Alex Van Halen put on a great show live. They were just... And, you know, I think when people are going to invest a lot of money in a band, 
they kind of think about, I wonder, you know, I think these guys could attract girls, you know, <laughs> you know, you don't want to get a bunch of guys that look like the plumber, you know, yeah. with great music. If you're, if you're looking to make money. So they probably looked at that a little bit, you know, and, uh, just go, these guys are not only this Van Halen thing, they not only play great, but their songs are pretty good and they look like, you know, they're pretty good looking guys and you know they like the whole package you know what i mean so i think record companies think about that mm. mark we recently lost jeff beck and I'm, I'm curious to know how big an influence he was on your playing i would put him really high as far as um he made me think about things that i wouldn't think about like playing with his finger and thumb how it changes the tone. I do that a lot. I play nowhere near like Jeff Beck, but when I see him playing with his thumb, I go, man, that really makes a different tone. So sometimes I'll roll off the volume and when I, you know, I'm doing little licks and we have like a breakdown and it's just a jam where we don't know what's going to happen. I play with my finger and thumb, you know, so he kind of made me do that. Um, I really loved some of his instrumentals were just, you know, something we used to play at Soundcheck, just messing around, you know. And um, that gig they did it live at Ronnie Scott's was just absolutely brilliant. And I'm also uh, really, uh, I really look up to the fact that his peer following, he was so well respected, you know. Like, you see people in the crowd, you're seeing Robert Plant, Eric Clapton, you know, Jimmy Page. I mean, these guys really looked up to Jeff Beck. He was a innovator. You know, he had taste. He did things that no one can do. He really played with the, the way he used the bar was beyond just about any guitar player I've ber heard as far as his wine type stuff and how much control he had over notes and you know he made the guitar sing i mean it, it the guy was just amazing it was really a a really tough loss and when he did pass he really people really came out and said you know just what you asked uh, you know what he meant to people mm. and mark, he meant all, he meant he meant a lot mark did you ever meet him I've never met Jeff yet. Okay. Never met him, man. I, I just never ran into him, but I, I've read a lot about him. I know his very early history. I know when he met Billy Gibbons and, you know, and, and just, uh, uh, you know, I always read about him and stuff, but no, I never met him. I think the one thing that a lot of people admire, uh, other than his guitar playing, of course, is he always followed his own path, that he, he never, like, sold out, like, a lot, a lot of people have been accused of doing. God, I agree with that 100%. Plus, um, I don't think he took himself too seriously. And he had hobbies, you know. He loved cars and, you know, uh, things away from music. So, um, I don't know. He just seemed super down to earth, mm. you know. I know, I, I really noticed that, you know, once we kind of got out there and and I got to meet a lot of my heroes, the ones that were super upper echelon, you know, that you would consider at least in the league of Jeff Beck, 
they're all soulful, down-to-earth, humble, you know. It's amazing, um, I guess, because they don't, they don't have to prove anything, you know. So yeah. they, they, kind of, they kind of treat everybody kind and, and equal, you know. I often wonder, Mark, how guitarists like that, who everyone thinks is, is great, can keep their ego in check because they have numerous people coming up to him all the time saying how great they are. <laughs> yeah. Well, you know, I think, I think the reason that you might run into a jerk or two is because they'd like you to think that they're supposed to be on the level of a Jeff Beck, but they haven't got there yet. And mm. so they have to put on a little bit of a facade and, you know, and I really think a lot of times, you know, if you try to evaluate it, I don't even think it's ego. It's a little bit of insecurity and they need validation. So they have to tell you how great they are. <laughs> you know what I mean? Yeah. It, it's like crazy. You know, uh, if you're great, people will let you know you don't tell them how great you are, you know. Yeah. But, uh, yeah, you know, it, there's some great guitar players, you know. Uh, for different reasons, you know, and then there are legends because they're kind of innovators, you know. I, I've just noticed everyone I've met that's on that level have always been really nice and treated me, you know, very kind. And, and they really seem soulful and down to earth. Mm. But I've met, a, the ones I've met that that don't act that way are usually the ones that wish that they were those guys. <laughs> okay. <laughs> That's the best way to put it, I yeah, guess. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So well, I, I spoke to Michael Lardy last year and we went in depth about the Psycho City record. And yeah. I said to Michael and he agreed with me that up to that point, he thought that your best guitar playing was on that album. Would you agree with that? Um. Yeah, I, I, I mean, I, I just think, you know, a lot of times it's about timing. You know, if you judged everything by record sales, I I, I don't know that you'd get the best music. Um, but yeah, I think I'd stretch it out a little bit more on that record as far as just playing wise. And, uh, you know, the, the album had great energy. So yeah, I'd probably agree with that, mm. you know, even though that was the era when, you know, Nirvana was starting to come on, which I, I thought was great, man. They were, you know, I I, I liked them. But, um, you know, it, it kind of changed uh, seasons with the 80s, if you will. And uh, people, you know, they did. We had so many loyal fans, so it wasn't like they left us. So we, we just went, went along business as usual, pretty much. I think I think Mark with that record, um, you were able to stretch out a lot because the songs were a lot longer than they, they normally were. They were like six, seven, eight minutes, some of them. Yeah. And even like endings, you know, I I just kept playing and the tape kept rolling. <laughs> you know. That's what I tell people. You know, I tell people I'm not very technical. I, I just you know, they point me to the stage and tell me when to stop playing. <laughs> <laughs> you know, yeah. Uh, so uh, yeah, yeah, exactly. Uh, Niven really liked me to to play more and show, you know, give people uh, my blues uh, stuff. 
and I, I enjoyed that. How in general, when you go into the studio where your solos worked out, how much room was there for improv? Um, I've worked out solos before, but back then I was kind of winging it. So I used to try to put chord changes together where the solo goes that would be conducive to a solo sounding good instead of just like, oh, let's throw the solo here. Um, so that was kind of important for me. But I didn't always work out the solos, but I think on a couple I did. Okay. Um, like, I, di- I didn't have anything for Rock Me. Um, I know that I had nothing for House of Broken Love. Wow. So all, all that, that means is... It, I'm in there for, you know, 12 hours instead of two. <laughs> you know what I mean? Yeah. It's like, okay, let's do it again. <laughs> is When you're doing something like that and you haven't really worked it out, I'm going to pick your brain here on, on some of the solos, right? Um, who, who's telling you where to go? Are you telling yourself where to go? Are you looking for a producer to, to guide you? or How does that work? Um, I kind of just play what I think would be really good for the song and the melodies that are in my head at the time. And usually when I start playing to something, other stuff starts coming out of my brain and I try to get it down onto the guitar. And then you have the guy going, telling you if it's good or not, uh, you know, so but nobody says, hey, I think you should play this note or that note. They're okay. just telling me, uh, hey, try it again, maybe a little bit more feeling, or, you know, that those type comments. But I don't think anybody's ever said, um, you know, hummed a melody to me or, or said, you know, they, they basically just tell me, you know, if it was a good performance Okay. Or, you know, that type thing. Yeah. So, Mark, when you're doing demos, is there no guitar solos on the demos? No. <laughs> I just kind of fire away on the, I just kind of fire away on the demos, too. So, but we didn't always demo everything. I, when I used to present songs to the band that, that I felt that could be really good songs, instead of going in and just showing them a raw riff, I would go into a studio and record like a 24 track demo and even hum melody with the vocal goals uh, because I didn't want the song to get shot down because people can't always hear what's in between your ears. You know what I mean? They, um, so they don't know what I'm hearing orchestration wise. You know, I have ideas on how things should sound, but sometimes I would also it it just eliminates the risk of somebody going, oh, no, nah, man, that sounds like ACDC or whatever, mm. you know, because they're not hearing what I'm not presenting the whole song. I'm, I'm just giving them a riff, you know. Mm. So, so a lot of times just to eliminate the risk of it getting shot down without giving it a chance, I would do a full demo. But we have, I think, demoed songs before. Uh, especially before the first record, I know we did a couple, couple tracks for demos, um, like for Street Killer off their first album. That was actually played on the radio, and I think the album version wasn't quite as good. Okay, wow. Uh, yeah, it, it 
it had a different energy. By the time we did the album, we'd already played the songs live a lot. Okay. Yeah, I've heard that over the years. There's the thing called chasing the demo when you go into the studio that you can't quite (laughs) capture the the vibe you had on the demos. Yeah, because, and you really can't explain it because I, I played it with the same intensity, but I think there's something, when something's fresh and new, it vibrates at a certain frequency that you can't explain. And, and there's, there's an excitement there, but it's not really from the music. I don't know. I, I, I really, I don't totally have an answer for that, but I, I know that when things are new to me, I'm, I'm very excited about it. If it's sounding good to me, you know what I mean? And after playing it like 40 times live, I might not have that same energy possibly. Mm. It wasn't that it was bad. I just thought it, it had more of a raw energy to it, you know. Yeah. So, Mark, if you're the guy who, who, who doesn't really work up the solos a lot in the studio, how much of a perfectionist are you in the studio then? Well, like I said, we rehearse the song, so yeah. I do play solos, yeah. you know, so there might be like an embryo of an idea. I just don't work it out like completely. Okay. You know, I go, yeah, I really like the changes where the solo goes because um, when we rehearsed it, I kind of liked the direction I was going there, you know. So I might have just a, an inkling of an idea, uh, but I just haven't, you know, it's not worked out, you know, like the whole solo or anything like that. Okay. I Mark- probably should be that prepared. <laughs> <laughs> now, that's refreshing to hear sometimes because, you know, I, I'm sure back then, that you know, the labels wanted to hear all the songs and the producer would want to hear all the songs with everything in it. So that in pre-production, yeah. because they'd know then how to work them up and how much work you needed before you got in the studio. And here you're right. telling me that... There's a, a gap there, that there's some improv there when you go in. I think maybe a lot of that was probably because you had Alan and Michael producing. If that was an outside producer, they mightn't, they mightn't go that way at all with you. Yeah, and and on the last album we did with Michael Wagner in Nashville, yeah. uh, um, we didn't have any of the lyrics. Uh, we only had a, a few, th- few ideas on lyrics. And we didn't even have about three three of the songs finished yet. And, you know, he's a German producer. He likes his ducks in a row. He likes to come out with the band for like two weeks and work out, you know, change drum parts and all this stuff. And I go, I was just telling him, it'll be fine, man. Don't worry about it. We're, you know, mm. we're pros. We're pros, dude. Don't worry <laughs> about it. And so, and luckily for us, the reason it worked is because he does one song at a time, not the basic tracks. We recorded the basic tracks in three days, but and and worked out the parts. You know, got got the things right for for three of the songs or whatever. But then he wants to go back the the following day and and do start the overdubs until they're done until the song is completely finished. So we were able to work on the lyrics the night before because we knew what song we were going to do in advance. So 
the following day we would come in and hand him lyric sheets and he'd go yay lyrics <laughs> <laughs> you know and then we do we do all the overdubs but that that's the least prepared we've ever been but it, it was it was really fun to do it that way mm. to, to kind of go in and be in a studio environment where everything sounds perfect and so you can hear what works and what doesn't and we were sitting there changing lyrics and it, it was it was a lot of fun but a challenge you know a little bit of a challenge mm. mark i want to ask you about a record that I think is very strong in your catalogue, and I think it kind of gets overlooked. Now, I'm a huge fan of Psycho City, but I love Sail Away, the one that you did in 94. Oh, yeah. But that's a complete 180 from Psycho City. Like, what was the mindset there to go in that direction? Well, I can tell you this. We've never planned a record in advance about what we're going to do um, apart from that one. Normally what we do, we'll write 20, 25 songs and pick the best 10 or 12. Um, the best songs make it. There's no preconceived thing about what we're going to write about or how the songs are going to be. Just the best ones make it. We've always kept it that simple. But we actually had a meeting with Alan and he said he'd like to hear us do a record where we were really brought it down to earth with acoustic guitars and more uh, musical and, you know, kind of like Crosby, Stills, and Nash-ish, you know, or whatever. So we actually had that direction going in. Um, so I really liked it. I don't know what you think, but I, I you know, like Sail Away and it was actually kind of nice. It was a different side of Jack's voice. He sang low. Mm. And, and uh, you know, I think we kind of stretched out a little bit. It, it was just fun, you know. It was like, you know, Led Zeppelin three or something, you know. Like, they, they really uh, gave you a different look, you know. I think... It, and, and I think it's fun. It's a, it's, a, it's a different sounding record that I don't think you probably could have made in, in the mid to late 80s or early 90s. You know, I think you, I think you had to right. go through the progression you went through. And then I think maybe a lot of it had to do with, you know, you, were on a, you weren't on a major anymore. You probably had more say in what the direction you wanted the music to go. Um, yeah, and, that's true. And as well as that, and I don't mean this to sound condescending or anything, but, you know, at that point in time, you could really do what you wanted that, you know, you couldn't do the old style music because a lot of bands at the time were, you know, they were either breaking up or they had to change their sound. Where You didn't really change your sound as much as some of the rest of them. No. Um, and a lot of that reason is, you know, on our first album, we really were trying to be something we weren't. and And I think when Alan started to hear the way I played away from that, it really got his attention. And he said, I want more of your blues influences, you know, just play from the heart, play whatever you want. And, and, you know, just be true to yourself. And once I, it almost like opened a door of freedom for me that wasn't there before. And, that being honest to ourselves, it, it allowed that. And even like Psycho City, we weren't on Capitol anymore. We were on Zoo, 
which wasn't a huge label. Um, they didn't really have a lot of demands. Uh, so we were pretty free to do what we wanted then too. Okay. Um, I think the timing, like I said, it was, had maybe Psycho City come out in 87, I mean, it might have been a different story as far as, you know, popularity and that and that type stuff. Yeah. Did, did you get offered it at all, or did you even do an MTV Unplugged? Uh, we were the first one to ever do an MTV Unplugged. Okay. Um, we did it uh, the same day as Don Henley and I, I think the damn Yankees. Okay. And they... They released them a week apart each show, but we we recorded back to back. I was called the night before we did that at, uh, by Alan. He said, "I need you to learn, babe. I'm going to leave you by Led Zeppelin." <laughs> <laughs> and, and I go, "Really?" I go like with no rehearsal or anything. He goes, "Oh yeah, you guys can go over it in the dressing room," you know. I'm going, are you kidding? Because there's so much picking and the arrangement is kind of outrageous. I, I just thought it was a, a bit much, but that's exactly what we did. We went over it in the dressing room, went over it in sound check, and that's it. We played it a couple times, and it turned out pretty good. Mm. So uh, that was pretty fun to strip the song down and just play acoustics. Pretty good idea for that show. Uh, to to hear you know give people a different look on some of the songs they heard in a different way, so I, I thought it was cool. Yeah, I always found that that idea was really good because it made made the song stand out if it was good enough acoustically. That if you stripped away all the production and all the bullshit and the song didn't stand up, you'd know. Yeah, yeah, very good point. I always felt that way and it's kind of a known thing that people say if a song's great it should hold up with one man one acoustic you know and uh yeah so i think you you've hit the nail on the head on that on that theory if a song's good it should be you should be able to deliver it in any fashion and it should be okay mm. when you did the unplug show mark um who who picked the set um, because there's some songs that, you know, they might be fast rockers and they could be very yeah. popular songs, but when you strip them down, they don't sound, they don't have the same impact. Yeah. Um, I can't remember how it was a very short set. I remember, I think we only played, I, I don't remember exactly, but it was a pretty short lived show, like maybe 30, 40 minutes. Okay. All right. So not to be one to dispute the guy that actually played in the band on the event, but I did a little digging because it didn't quite jive with my memory of their appearance on uh, MTV Unplugged. Thought it was shorter, so I, I did a little digging trying to kind of figure out what was going on. And, you know, definitely I looked at the set list and it was only a couple songs and it most of them um, aren't going to really jive with what Mark is saying. But then it was like, well, maybe he's mixing up with other things and so i think possibly what is going on with what he's describing is two shows and they're actually available on a single dvd but i think that maybe he's clumping together their uh performance in tokyo which was in 89 
which they have Train of Nowhere and The Hunter and House of Broken Love and Babe, I'm Gonna Leave You and Once Bitten, Twice Shy. And then there was the MTV Unplugged set, which is got, uh, that's from 1990, and it's got the Angel Song, House of Broken Love, Once Bitten, Twice Shy, and Babe, I'm Gonna Leave You. So it could be that there's a little combination or there may be some other things, and he's thinking about some different shows. So like I said, don't like to be the guy that's, that's you know, questioning the uh, the dude that actually played the shows, but it just it didn't seem quite right, and I didn't want to get a bunch of feedback about it or whatever because, you know what, sometimes you just don't remember everything, especially when you're talking 89, 90. Uh, hell, I don't. I probably remember maybe a fifth of all the gigs I ever played back in those days let alone even, uh, you know, all the originals and all the covers. All right, I'm done. Back to the talk with Mark. So um, I don't remember exactly how we picked the songs. And to tell you the truth, I don't even remember what all the songs. I remember we played, uh, I I know, pretty sure we played Rock Me. Save Your Love. uh, Yeah, we played Save Your Love. Um, God, I can't even remember I'm sorry. Angel song. Yeah, I think we did play that. Okay. Yeah, it was a very short set, maybe six or seven songs. So, so um, we couldn't get too elaborate, but we it was it was fun, really, to deliver it in a different way like that. Mm. I played uh, Oh House of Broken Love. I played completely different, just kind of, you know. I don't know. I, I just played. I played the solos slightly different. Okay. Okay. You know, it's hard to bend. It's hard to bend a telephone pole. You know what I mean? <laughs> <laughs> so, so you kind of got to go go down a different road a little bit. Yeah. Well, a general question for you, Mark. I've asked a lot of guitar players this question, and I don't think I've asked you. Uh, what's the sickest you've ever played a show and been able to pull it off? The very sickest I've ever been. At any show in my life, and I had to play, was at the Ritz in New York, 1988. We played a show with Guns N' Roses. I had 103 temperature, was very sick. So instead of two Heinekens, I had six. <laughs> and uh, just got through it that way. Okay. Back then, we cured every we cured everything with beer. <laughs> um, I, I'm like 14 years sober now, but... But back then, um, and I actually, I was sweating bullets, but I, I did, it didn't affect my playing. But yeah, I was uh, really had, I remember my fever was really high. And I was kind of like, you know how you get dingy in your head, like yeah. almost dizzy? Yeah. Yeah, I had, I had that going on. Because the Ritz, that's a club, isn't it? Yeah, in New York City, yeah. um, I think it fit about, I don't know, somewhere around a thousand, twelve hundred people, maybe. Okay. And the MTV brought the cameras down, and it was like an MTV presented. Uh, we played an hour, and Guns N' Roses played an hour. It must have been. Uh, like- it was actually a good, great show. I mean, we both had great nights. It's all over the internet these days on YouTube and stuff, so you can go back and. Check. We played a great version of a uh, Zeppelin song called ba- um, "Not Babe, I'm Gonna Leave You." Uh, Since I've been loving you. Oh, nice! Uh, it turned out really good. Yeah. Uh, we only played it a couple times, so that that's another one of those cases where that's probably the best version you're ever going to get. It, 
even if we played it a hundred more times, it's because we hadn't played it very much, you know? So it had that, uh, that energy that we were talking about earlier, you know, mm. it, it must have Where, been like it must have been like an oven in there, though. A club like that, you've got a temperature of 103. Yeah, I would. If you see that video, man, I'm sweating bullets. It's hot <laughs> on stage, and I got a fever to boot. You know, so it was brutal. Okay, but, uh, a lot of fun. <laughs> <laughs> so, Mark, who who was the who was the headline band? when you were going out years ago on, on big arena tours that you always made a point of, of watching? Um, I would say I probably saw Judas Priest and Scorpions the most as far as watching from the side. Just to, uh, you know, Judas Priest really uh, treated us well. They uh, kind of took us under the wing, t- told us things. Mostly how to treat, you can just see how to treat people. They treated us so good and opening, the way they treated us as an opening act was just wonderful. I, you know, Glenn Tipton played me in pool like every day off. I remember one time we played pool for like 10 hours straight (laughs) and we had a show. We had a show the next day. It's like, we look outside and it's light out. It's like seven in the morning and we're still playing. And, uh, the next day, after I'm walking, I was out to go check them out. I wanted to see how Glenn was doing because we drank quite a few pitchers. And when he walked by me, he goes, Mark, I'm not feeling well. <laughs> <laughs> and, uh, you know, the Scorpions, um, I remember I, this is just quick, very quick story. But I kind of had a bad night one night. And back then, you know, they didn't have phones running to where you have to relive it on, you know, on the internet. But it, it was just a bad technical night. I could have played better. It kind of distracted me having problems with uh, some gear. And, uh, but, you know, my thinking was, I'll just do better tomorrow. You know, I think it went by. I don't think anybody's going to say I sucked or anything. So Rudolph Shankar saw some of it. And he takes me aside down this hallway. He goes, Mark, you got to play hard, man. You know, he's going, you have to kick ass out there. Give 110% and all this stuff. I'm going, Rudolph Shaker has busted me doing a bad show. <laughs> it's like, you know, that's what I loved about those two bands is they wanted the whole night to be good. You know, they weren't intimidated by us, of course. So they didn't want to have us have a bad show and then them come up and be the big rock stars with the bitch in production. They wanted us to do well too. They wanted the whole night people to get their money's worth, so to speak. The one thing I've always admired about Scorpions and even to this day is how professional they are. I've never read a review where they've had a bad show. And I think a lot of that reason is because they take the time on stage so serious. I mean, they they really amp up and um, gear up for a show. And they go out there and, you know, Rudolf Shankar, the singer, everybody, Matthias, they, they really, I, I think they try to impress people. I don't even think they're trying to be entertaining. I think that they want people to walk away with their jaws dropped, you know. 
They're so blown away. Mm. They, that's the reason. I just think that it's the effort they put in. They, they just don't take shows for granted. Mm. And I'm influenced by that. And um, my manager at one time, he told me, he goes, he goes, Kendall, he goes, it's not that hard to entertain someone, but it's very it's difficult to impress people. He goes, why don't you go out there and try to impress somebody tonight? Okay. And that hit me like I go, holy shit, man, that makes a lot of sense to me. And it kind of makes you go out with a different mindset. And, and you're just thinking, God, I know exactly what he means. Mm. I can go through the motion. I never really can ever, I don't think I've ever gone through the motions, but I, I you just have to think, man, I want to give these people their money's worth. Yeah. And I, I think that that's, that's where the scorpion, and when, and believe it or not, when Rudolph took me aside and says, Mark, you got to kick ass and all that, give 110%, that was pretty much the same conversation I had with Niven. So he just said it differently. So I, I not only was I uh, influenced by what he said, but it, it made me want to do better, you know? Well, so the, that's, the thing, thing about Rudolph, and you have to admire about him doing that, is he didn't have to do that. He was, exactly. He was the headline band. Like, he, you know, right. you hear a lot of stories about, you know, the support band, they might get treated like shit or they never see the headliner. He actually watched right. it and went out of his way to comment on it to you. Yeah. And I and I totally appreciate that. And, you know, and the other thing is, I you know, I saw him about five years ago in Vegas and went backstage and went into Rudolph's dressing room and, he, once again, he just treated me like I'd never been away. Mark, what's happening, bro? You know, this, that, and the other. Uh, uh, you know, so there's, uh, they're about more than just music, but human connection and being kind and listening to what you have to say. And, you know, they're just uh, good people in general. Mm. Now, I, I, I'm going to pick your brain here and I'm going to name a date. And I, if you don't know what happened, I don't mind. So it's the 16th of February today, right? So the 17th of February, well, 1984. Does that mean anything to you? Um, if it was, if it was Niagara Falls with Judas Priest, no, it was. Uh, oh, oh, okay, Dublin. I, with, I'm not sure. Dublin with White Snake. I think it was your first show with. Oh, them. Dublin. Really? Was yeah. that in '84? I thought. I, okay, yeah, that was uh, Dublin. Okay, yeah, because I remember. When we played in Belfast, um, a couple of guys from Def Leppard were at the show. I think it was Joe Elliott and the drummer. Mm -hmm. And uh, they were really cool, man. I really liked those guys. But um, I think they were living there, something to do with taxes or something. Yeah, that's but anyways, right. Jack almost said, thank you, Dublin. He, he, he started to say Dublin goodnight. He almost said, thank you, Dublin goodnight. <laughs> and I, I don't think the two countries get along very well or whatever. So, um, I mean, that, you know, and, and so from then on, we always put tape on the stage where we were at. <laughs> we always, you know, we didn't used to do that yeah. because a lot of times, if you're playing arenas every night, sometimes you could forget where, you know, where you're at. Oh yeah. I'm so, sure. so we, we always, it, it wasn't, um, 
that we're rude or anything like that. But you know, when you're just going, 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 you just you forget where where you're playing because all the arenas look very similar. So yeah, that was funny that you mentioned that gig because I, I, I brought up the story about uh, Belfast. Yeah. I, I remember we went the night before we played in Belfast. We went and saw the Simple Minds. They played at the same place. Yeah, uh, that that was pretty interesting, man. They they had that song and. Yeah, that was a, a pretty pretty cool. I really like that singer, man. Jim Jim Kerr. Yeah, great, great. Yeah, great singer, man. Yeah. Did you get a chance cool to stuff. um to talk with John Sykes much? Was he with White Snake then? Yeah, yeah. I talked to John Sykes a lot. He, uh, very down to earth dude. We actually uh, he he might have come later or because I re- at some point. We played a show with Whitesnake when they had Mel Gilly and Moody in the band. Okay. I'm not sure when that was and how that transition happened. I, I know, I think Mel Gilly got in some kind of motorcycle wreck or car wreck or something. Something took him out. Mm. And, and maybe they got Sykes then or something. Yeah. I, I wish I, I knew that how that worked. Uh, uh, I mean, I know they had Neil Murray, Cozy Powell, um, and Sykes came along, it seems like, after a few gigs happened. Um, but I, I could be wrong. I, I just I just remember playing an outdoor show. It was Whitesnake, and they had Mel Keeley, um, the guy that wrote, you know, Here I Go Again, that Moody, I forget his first name. Mickey Moody. Mickey Moody. And uh, Neil Murray on bass, Cozy Pell, and, and Coverdale. Um, and I don't know when Sykes stepped in, but yeah, he's a gangster on guitar okay. for sure. Did you watch Cozy much? Yeah, I saw his solo almost every night. I mean, I used to go out for a solo because he had that pinwheel and everything. Okay. So that was that was pretty badass. Okay. Cozy Pal is just, he, he's such a monster drummer. I mean, all that rainbow stuff. And, yeah. And just amazing, mm. amazing drummer. Who, who was the drummer? Cool. Was Audie the drummer back then, Mark? Yeah. So, oh, no. No. Okay. Um, on that tour and the Judas Priest tour, it was Gary Holland. Um. And really, it's the only time we've ever fired someone because they were kind of subpar. Okay. You know, and Niven warned us about it when he first met us. He goes, what are we going to do about your drummer? And we like talked him into keeping him. But anyways, it all worked out. But uh, yeah, the other thing about Cozy Pell I wanted to mention is he followed the bus he, he in his own cars. It's something about he, he just liked his cars and fast cars and he stuff like that yeah so, I've, I've talked to a few people um i talked to colin hart who was a roadie and i don't know yeah. whether he was on that tour but he was a roadie for purple and rainbow and and i think white snake and he said mm-hmm. he got in he got in a car with cozy on the autobahn in germany and there's no speed limit and he said he was literally grabbing onto the seat next to cozy oh god he's probably yeah the speed he was, he was driving yeah yeah, well, yeah, he he didn't like sitting in a bus. He was just more um, into fast cars and that. And it, just, it was his hobby, I'm sure. Yeah. Uh, just like Jeff Beck liked cars, too. Mm. But, uh, yeah, yeah, we got a great memory. Um, and, you know, later on down the road, uh, a few tours 
into America, we toured with White Snake again. A completely different band, but a uh, bunch of higher, you know. Yeah, Vivian Campbell, Vivian Campbell Adrian. Adrian, Adrian Vandenberg. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, that, that was a good band, though, man. They were yeah. pretty, pretty cool. Yeah. I used to jam with Vivian a lot. We had backstage, we were playing like Hendrix, and, you know. Yeah, Viv- Viv- Vivian <laughs> lives up my, way, up my way now. He's about probably an hour away from me. He's in New Hampshire. Oh. Yeah. Oh, really? He's oh, in New cool. Hampshire now, yeah. Oh, Vivian? Yeah. Oh, really? Yeah. I didn't know that. Yeah, he did. Yeah, I know he lived in America forever, and, and uh, so I'm not sure when he moved there, but that's cool, man. Yeah, he moved a couple of years ago Very up to cool. New Hampshire. Badass. Yeah, yeah. So I want to ask, I want to bring it to, to now for a few minutes um, and talk about your new singer, Brett Carlisle. Oh, yeah. Do you think having... A, a new singer like that now, who's who can really nail all the all the classic stuff. Do you yeah. think it's motivated you guys to write new music now with him, or is that still off the table? He's, he's coming. He's coming over next week. We're going to record a bunch of stuff. I have. We've been working on our phones, and it's just a pain in the butt. I go, I need you here. You got to <laughs> come down. And uh, so, I have some recording gear here. But I have to call a friend of mine. It's just a pain in the butt. So I I record most of my songs and ideas at Tracy G's. I don't know if you know him. I know Tracy. He, Fabulous. Yeah, guitarist. he was in he was in Dio for yeah, like about seven nice years guy. or something. Really nice guy. Yeah, World War Three. Anyways, he's my. You know, we've been friends since we were teenagers. We were in rival bands. We used to go watch each other play. So we're, we're just really good buddies. I just played on one of his solo album. But anyways, uh, he goes, he lets me go down there and record. And he has way better gear than I have. And so I just go down there. So I'm writing. I got about five songs done. And I want to write something new with Brett. So I'm going to get him on six songs in about eight days, and I just know it's going to be epic. I, I'm so excited about this music, man. I mean, you know, I have my mind motivated. I, I really think I can outdo some of my past. I, I really feel like, you know, because we can always get better, right? Yeah. So I my my motivation is, you know, my pipe dream is I am going to write a couple songs that are going to blow minds, you know? <laughs> I mean, I I told this guy I'm going. It don't have to happen, but I'm excited about the stuff I'm doing right now. It's riff orientated. It's rocking. I got a couple other things that are a little bit different. I you know, it's not reinvention. It's improving. You know, I I'm not. You know, all of a sudden gonna you know sound like something completely obscure. But he has such a great voice and such a wide range, and he's he's really really good. That I think uh, I think his his voice and my guitar is going to be good. It, mm. it, it just, I, I'm excited about it. See, I I'm always a fan of when bands from back in the day bother to even write and release new music. Now I know that a lot of the bands say that it's not worth their time doing it and they won't do it because you know the business model is completely different and there's no money in record sales but when the stuff actually comes out i always try and help promote it and there's a lot of really good music out there now that just doesn't get heard great 
I know. I totally agree. Um, well, I'll just give you an example. There, there's a, you know, and this is just a band I'm just throwing out there random. But Night Ranger, I've heard a couple tracks they've done, like in the past maybe two or three years, that are just straight up killer. Yeah. You know, um, and it'll probably never get bought, never get heard or whatever. But I'm doing it really for a selfish reason. I want to try to get the music to the fans the best I can. Like you said, there's not a big market there. You know, we don't have record stores, no radio, no MTV. So all the mediums are gone. But I do it to motivate myself. You know, it's like a, a painter coming up with a new painting that's going to blow minds. I, I just want to keep being creative and, and try to get better. You know, I, I really want to come with some songs. You know, I'll, I'll give you an example. I was on that cruise, right? And I'm watching Saxon. And this guy next to me had a Levi jacket, looked like he's from Europe and was really into it really into section mm. and so was i i heard this song something about bullets and all this and i'm going i go dude that song was pretty rad when you know i'm thinking it came out what 81 you know he goes oh no that was from their album three years ago yeah <laughs> I, go, I go are you serious yeah that's a new tune mm-hmm. that is so badass and that's the first time i ever heard it you know and uh so i'm doing music i i like to make music uh just so I can say, you know what? If this came back in 84, I, I really believe the fans would have liked it, you know. But you do the best you can, you know, uh, with the internet and try to get the music to the people the best you can. And, uh, you know, guys like you that still want to promote it are a blessing because, you know, I just want our fan. You know, I've always been this way. Even when there was potential money to be made because we did have record doors and radio, my, my, instead of worrying about, you know, oh, we're going to sell a million, I couldn't wait to play the songs for a friend of mine who's one of the best music critics that he couldn't play a chord on a guitar or hum a tune, <laughs> but he always knew if it was good or not. I don't know why. So I couldn't wait to see. He's kind of tough on me. I, I couldn't wait to hear what he said. So I'm, I'm more not concerned about selling a million copies. I'm more concerned about what people think of it. What do you think of that? How'd you like that song? You know, uh, did you like it? Uh, that's one of my best riffs I've written in a while. I hope you like, you know, I want to hear what people think more than dollars and cents. You need to be careful with that, Mark, because of the way social media goes now. That there's just this, there can be this negative group think out there that they're just never, yeah. they're, all, they're just going to say that. And I think this goes across the board for all bands. It's just, yeah. it's no, you know, the classic era is the classic era and there's nothing ever as good as it, even though they haven't listened to it properly. Yeah. Yeah, I know what you mean. Like, I'm not going to go on Facebook and say, hey, I want to be broke. Do you like my music? <laughs> but, uh, you know, at the same time, I, me personally, I, I, I like to hear the feedback, yeah. you know, and, and let money maybe take care of itself or whatever. But, but I'm, I more want to hear the feedback. Like, what is a journalist going to say about this record? Is it, you know, 
I, I want like constructive, good criticism. I don't want to hear a journalist just say, oh, it sucks. This is terrible. You know, I want to hear why it's terrible. Why don't you like it? What song don't you like and why? You know what I mean? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Even though I probably won't get that. But, you know, that that's my hope. Was Now, you, you're obviously very enthusiastic about doing new music. Did Do all the other guys in the band share that enthusiasm or did you have to convince any of them that oh, no. this is the right way to go? No, no they do. Um, it just, you know, we've really haven't had the best opportunity as far as with, with the singers we've had. It's mm. like, it, it was like, okay, this is working, you know, but we're really not seeing like, this is after working with somebody for a while. We're just like, God, I, I'm just not sure this, the longevity is here with this guy, you know, he, he's doing okay shows. But when, when I heard Brett and the effort he put in to just sing in our song, you know, the catalog stuff correctly, I really hear the potential. I heard past all that. I heard past him doing Rock Me Perfect, you know, and and I'm going, God, I wonder what this voice is going to sound like with the new songs, mm. you know. I want to get this guy in something new. Yeah. And just trip on it and just listen back. I want to hear what it sounds like. You know what I mean? Mm. So stuff like that gets me excited. I, I, you know, I, not super easily excited, but um, when it comes to new music or something that I'm passionate about, I it kind of pumps me up. Yeah, I can't help it. Yeah. <laughs> Final question, Mark, before I leave you go. Now, you've always seemed to be sure. this one band guy in an era when. Uh, especially a lot of guitar players to keep getting offered all these super group uh, projects to do. Um, have you ever been offered any of those? Um, yeah, a couple times. Um, I remember Jeff Picaro wanted me to do a project. Um, I played on Glenn Hughes' first album, but as far as doing a full blown thing, it's something that, um, not so much offered like an all-star type thing where we're going to go, you know, do this or that. But like, I've kind of went out and found guys that I thought would be great. Like the keyboard player for Eric Clapton or, you know, just get some musicians together and, and see what it sounds like if I just write all the music and, and have, I actually had a singer, but you know, just to hear what another band would sound like and and kind of listen back and see what uh, what it is exactly I bring to Great White. You know what I mean? Yeah. And, and I just, I was curious to what it would sound like, but I couldn't call it a solo album because it, I had a singer, you know, mm. but uh, so I, then I went and made a solo album and it was funny because I got the bass player. I got played drums for tower of power for five years, but he played fretless bass. Like, just like, you can't believe how great he is. So he's one of these guys who just plays everything great, you know? Mm -hmm. uh, so that, that was fun. But the challenge was me singing and, I go, if it's going to be a solo album, I got to get behind the mic and try that. Yeah. <laughs> you know, but it was a lot of fun to do that. Um, it's funny when you have keyboards and, and you play with people, 
you can't avoid it making a certain sound, you know, mm. and, and, and me being a part of that sound. But it's funny when you strip me away, it is, it's a little different. Mm. It's a little more blues driven and, you know, yeah. I, I what, can't what, help what, it. what I'm really talking about is some of these Frontiers Records projects that like have Jeff Pilsen on it with Robin McCauley, Reb Beach, and then you'd have M- Michael Sweet on on one with Joel Holkstra. You know, oh, they, 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 yeah. Yeah, you've never been offered any of those? Um, I don't think I play enough notes for that. <laughs> <laughs> really? <laughs> <laughs> no, no, seriously. Um, no, I, I, uh, no, nobody has ever uh, reached out to me and said, hey, you know, go play with Reb Beach on this or that, you know. Okay. But I like all those guys you mentioned. Uh, they're all great, you know. Yeah, yeah. Well, Mark, do you want to give out the uh, the website where people get in touch with with you or the band? Yeah, uh, officialgreatwhite.com. Uh, our, the tour dates are constantly coming in, and so you can see when we get to your area. Uh, we have merchandise on there, and uh, a lot of, you know, we keep the news updated so you know what's going on. And... Uh, just, you know, Mark Kendall, I'm on Facebook, I'm on Twitter, um, a great white band. We actually had to call our Facebook great white band because if you pull up great white, I was, you're going to get a shark, you know, <laughs> you know? so we, we had to do that, but yeah, great white band as our, and then, uh, official, uh, or great white rocks is our Instagram. So, you know, all the, all the basic, we're not hiding from nobody. Hmm. Is there a is there a timeline on a new record? Are you home to get it out by the end of this year? Um, we're working on songs now. I mean, uh, the singer's coming over. I've been going down to Tracy's and putting ideas together. Yeah, so we'll probably get into a room, you know, in between shows and and try to get it out this year. I've been saying this for two years though, so you yeah. don't have to believe me. But I'm really trying. Um, I'm really. Uh, focused and i'm gonna get it done okay uh, i want to do a video i, I want to you know this is basically just gonna probably the video just be thrown out there but you know we'll have it on basic stuff probably no we might not do a label we might i i don't know uh, we'll, we'll find out about that but we will make music and and for sure mm. i'm all about all about it what about a producer have you talked about that um I love Michael Wagner, but he kind of retired. He's retired, so yeah. So we'll, we'll have to look into that. Have not really thought about it extensively. Had a couple things in mind. I thought about Jeff Pilsen for a minute because he he's so musically gifted. Oh, yeah. And, nice and guy, too. Very, his energy is is obscene yeah he's like a teenager mm-hmm. uh but he's brilliant uh, the way he put that foreigner stuff together and just about everything he does is great mm. so i think that would be a good kind of almost off the wall you know i i don't know if you know you pulled up producers like jeff pilson would be right there or, you know but he's very good i happen to know that that he is very good yeah but you got, so you, he'd be that, yeah trying to get him Available might be a problem though because he's going to be out <laughs> with Foreigner a lot now. Oh yeah, 
But they're saying this is their farewell tour, but who knows? You know how those go. Oh, <laughs> well aware of it. <laughs> I think I think it's Scorpions uh, retired twenty years ago. You know, yeah. uh, we played we played with them in '05, I think it was, and that was their final tour. So I walk up to the guitar deck, and I saw the set list, and they had like Speedy's coming and all this stuff. I go, "Holy crap! They're doing Will Burn the Sky? Are you serious?" He goes. That set list is 30 years old. <laughs> I go, oh. And, but anyways, he, he said, I go, this is their last tour, huh? Yeah, farewell tour, huh? He's like, I go, how long is it going to be? You know, I'm thinking eight months or something. He goes, three years. <laughs> and then, and, But they're still playing. Yeah. You know, it's hard to retire. What do you do? Go lay on your thumbs? I mean, you know, yeah. you're home for like. You go home and maybe golf for three weeks and you go insane. You got to go play. Yeah, yeah. So how's the pool going for you, Mark? Is it you still playing a lot? Pool, the pool's going great. Uh, in fact, my world champion friends over here he just ran three fifty four. He's trying to beat his own record of six twenty six. So I'm just kind of watching him play today. He's going to be here three days. Okay. He he, need, he wants to break his record, but uh, yeah, still playing pool. Playing pretty good. Ran fifty six the other night. Okay. That's that's like a high number for me. <laughs> yeah. Oh, before I leave I'm you, a guitar player yeah. though. Before I mean, be, before, before I leave you go, I have to ask: When you played the likes of Glenn Tipton, did you wipe the floor with him? Like, how good were you back then? Oh yeah. Oh, he had no chance. <laughs> there's no. There's no. I'm the best. Well, this is from other people, not me telling you how great I am. It, this is. I, I'm the best celebrity player. I've been on Joe Rogan. He knows. Um, I, I tortured Joe Rogan. There's a, a referee that does the entire pro tour that told anybody that wants to play this guy, this a celebrity, can get played for whatever you want. You know. So as far as you know, like a guitar player beating me in pool, it's probably not going to happen. But you know, I've been playing pool for 30 years. You know, so it's uh, you know, people just don't figure somebody can do something good when they just know know them from one thing you know mm. Mm. but uh i can't golf very good i can tell you that so there there's probably a lot of guitar players who can beat me at that okay so, <laughs> so, so what, what's more expensive mark your pool cue or your guitar oh the guitar is way more expensive way more although okay. uh, most of the time most of the time through my career once you started doing well there you know yeah you get free free instruments yeah. but I still pay for guitars. I, I just got a 75 Telecaster I bought just a couple of years ago. So when I see a guitar that I think is going to sound the way I like them to sound, um, I'll, I'll buy it. You know, okay. I still like to purchase guitars off the street, you know. Okay. All right, Mark. Well, yeah. I'm going to, I'm going to leave you go. I'm going to try and get to your show in, in, uh, the Mohican sun next month. Oh, seriously? Yeah, I'm going to try to get right, there. Richie, that's a, that's a, I'll look forward to that, bro. Yeah. That'll be awesome, man. Yeah, give, I, me, give, me the, uh, your, give me your take on what you hear. Yeah. Um, well, I, I've never seen you live, so uh, that'll be interesting for me because I'm a big fan. Oh, great. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, you'll have fun. Um, you know, we're going all the way back to the first record. You know, we grab a song up there, wow. just kind of go through the career. Yeah. Nice. Nice. You know, even, even though, you know, it's not a million seller or whatever, you know, we do stick it and sometimes we throw on your knees in or, or whatever. Okay. The song's still got memory, you know. Nice, nice. 
All right, Mark. Well, it's been a pleasure again. Have a good rest of the day. Cheers, brother. All right. Take care of yourself. Okay. Bye-bye. And there you go. Another chat with Great White's own Mark Kendall. And like he said, you can go to officialgreatwhite.net. Get tour dates, get merch, you know, all the other good stuff. Find out what is going on with the Great White, you know, because they're always doing something. And, you know, they got some specials going on in the store right now as well. You can get the, uh, what is it, the the Living on the Edge t-shirt is marked down from 35 bucks to 20 bucks. The Rockin' America tour shirt is down to 20 bucks as well. they got some limited edition stuff that uh, that's out there, so... Yeah, good stuff up there, like I said, and like Mark said, officialgreatwhite.net. And if you can, catch him live, you know, like uh, Richie was saying, he's going to probably go catch him down in uh, down at one of the casinos. And, uh, you know, I know they're also coming up our way again in the summertime and doing a bill with Slaughter. Uh, same, They did the same bill last year as well. And uh, they're, they're back, so uh, I know they got that going on. So they got lots of tour dates again. OfficialGreatWhite.net. Check out tour dates. See if they are coming to your town. And also, before I take off, I'm just interested to know, uh, you know, if what are people thinking about Record Store Day 2023 coming up in April? If, you know, little bit and bits and pieces are coming out of albums that are that are getting announced. I know I myself right now the one I'm excited about is the uh, the four-disc uh, set from Van Halen uh, right here, right now, live on Red Vinyl. I'm psyched. That is definitely something I'm going to try to get on Record Store Day. And I'll see what else dribbles out for release titles as we go along. But I'd be interested to hear, you know, what you guys are thinking, what you're looking forward to for Record, St- Record Store Day 2023, or even if you care about it. And, uh, you know... You can hit Richie up about that on Facebook, but you can also hit us up at shout at focusonmetal.net. Yep, for those of you that don't know, we actually do have uh, email addresses around here. You can hit Richie at richie at focusonmetal.net. You can hit myself at scott at focusonmetal.net. Hit both of us at shout at focusonmetal.net. Anyways, for this week, that's it. There ain't no more. Stick a fork in it. This puppy is done. So for Richie, myself, and everybody else here at Focus on Metal, have yourselves a great metal week. And until we talk to you again, as always, remember... Focus on Metal! Everything else is insignificant. Still here? It's over. Go home.